All right, today we are celebrating all that happens through our students' ministry and our kids' ministry. And in case you're wondering, I've decided today to do my best Clint Eastwood impression for the whole service. So if you've heard me before, you'll know that my voice is a little different, and that's because I'm battling some kind of virus in my lungs and in my throat. But this series, Be the Best You, has been a great series, and I am bound and determined to push us across the finish line this week as we wrap it up. We've been studying the Gospel of John chapters 3 and 4, and today we're talking about your family. The Word of God is going to speak into your family. You need to know at Connection Point that you are loved here and you are wanted here, and that is true for your kids and your grandkids. I don't think you'll find a better place within 50 miles of here of people who genuinely care about your kids and grandkids and want to help them become the best versions of themselves in every area of life. So we're going to be talking about that today and how each of us can be spiritual leaders in our realm of influence. Well, I have a public service announcement for all the men in the room. So men, listen up closely. A week from today is Mother's Day. Okay, so you have been warned. It's time to go prepare. Buy the cards now. Don't buy the flowers quite yet, but get the Get the cards, get the gifts. A week from today is Mother's Day. And next weekend here in all of our weekend services, we're going to be celebrating not only our moms and our grandmas, but all the women who are part of our movement and part of our tribe here. So it's going to be a special message from God's word for all of us, but specifically celebrating our moms, our grandmas, and all of the women in our tribe here. So you don't want to miss it. We're going to have special prizes for the moms who travel the furthest and other fun things. So... We'll see you guys next weekend for that. Right before we get into God's word, I have to take a minute to just celebrate and give God the glory and the praise for some amazing things that he's been doing through you all as a church family. Last weekend, if you were here with us, we had a baptism weekend. That's a time when people who've placed their faith in Christ, only he can forgive our sins and reconnect us to God. Once we've done that, we show that visually by being baptized. And over here in our baptismal, last weekend, between all our services and two other events that we had on campus, we had 83 people. Yeah, that's right. We can can celebrate that. 83 people who have found forgiveness, who have found identity, who have found eternal life, who have found purpose and security in Christ. And I just have to tell you just a few of the stories because I got to go over on the side there when the line was snaked out and snaking around the side of that room at each of the services. And I got to pray with and cry with and just celebrate with different people who are being baptized. I'll just tell you a few highlights, okay? One was a gal I met who works at a big box retail store here in the area. And she didn't really know about the church, and she doesn't know which one of you it was, but a total stranger came up to her while she was working and handed her one of our Easter invitations. So I don't know which one of you it was, but way to go, whoever it was. She got the Easter invite. She came on Easter. She placed her faith in Christ. She found new identity. She found forgiveness, release from shame and guilt, new life. She's been coming every weekend since, and she got baptized last weekend. Can we just celebrate that? And that's a reminder for us. The next time we have one of these big community outreach pushes and we print up the little invites, if you've got a business or anywhere in the community you can hand them out, it might seem goofy, but apparently it works and God uses it. He uses any act of obedience that comes from the heart. I'll tell you just a couple other stories that I heard. I met a guy 
whose neighbors are a Connection Point family. And the neighbors told me that they've been praying for him to come to church for three years. Three years of praying and he wouldn't set foot in the church. And for some reason, he did set foot with them on Easter. The reason is their prayers, their faithfulness, their love. They've just been good neighbors to him. He came on Easter. He placed his faith in Christ. He's been coming ever since. And he was baptized last week. I'll just give you a couple more. I mean, it was just one after another of these stories. I met a couple, an engaged couple. They started coming in January. We had a series called Launch, about launching into a successful life. And they've learned, they've been coming every weekend since January, that they need Jesus to be the center for each of their individual lives. And they said, before we get married, we want to get baptized together and proclaim him as the center of our own lives and as the center of our marriage. Pretty cool thing. They got baptized side by side. Uh, I'll just tell you one more. Otherwise, I could go all morning with these because this is what I live for. These stories are what... Uh, why we do what we do here. So um, I'll just tell you one last one, and that's, um, bear with me here, in my sickness, I'm, I'm blanking out on my, I'm blanking out on my last one. Let me see if I wrote it down for you guys. Oh yeah, here it is, okay. <clears throat> so there's this guy who uh, in November um, lost a loved one and was just at his lowest low. And one of you guys invited him to Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, he believed in Jesus. And his was one of these neat ones because we don't always see it right away. Just like that neighbor who was prayed for for three years, he started coming on Christmas Eve. In January, we had a big baptism service, and he kind of felt like he should do that, but he just wasn't there yet. He was there in his heart, but he just wasn't quite along far enough on his journey yet. But he kept coming, and he kept coming weekend after weekend from January until now. And so when this second one rolled around, he said, I don't want to miss out this time. So anyhow, there's, there's more and more. But um, I want to say a thank you to each of you who pray, to each of you who invite, to each of you who give so that we have this facility and so that we can do together what none of us could do alone. Thank you to each of you who serve. Well, we're talking today about our families and for all of us who have kids and grandkids, I want to take you into an emotional moment that I think you'll be able to relate to. And that's the moment of watching my children play with new friends and trying to fit in. You've had this moment as a parent or a grandparent, even if you're here and you don't have kids or grandkids, you've maybe had this moment with someone else you love and care about. You want to see them thrive. You want to see them fit in. Well, my family just moved here in December from the other side of the country, and it's been a major change culturally for my kids. It's also been a big change climate-wise. We were used to it being sunny all the time, and winter was kind of brutal. And, and it was a hard change because we moved in the middle of the school year. And the school they're at is great, and their teachers are amazing, but kids socially just have their own set of rules, right? No matter how great the grown-ups are. And I watched some of my kids who are in elementary just kind of struggle with that feeling of rejection. And when you look from the outside in as a parent, you know that emotion when you're watching them try to fit in in a group and they're trying to be accepted and they're trying to do the right thing and they're not. And it just breaks your heart as a parent. And I also want to flip that emotion to what I've experienced here in more recent months as my kids have assimilated into their school and their social environment. And specifically on a, a Sunday when we had some of our friends from our tribe here over at our house. And in the afternoon, our kids were playing in the backyard. 
and looking on as an adult, the kids not even knowing you're watching, and seeing one of my elementary kids who had struggled to find acceptance, seeing that child be completely accepted into a group and be loved and just be able to be creative and goofy and fun and be a kid. For me as a dad, it was one of those turning points of like, okay, we're finally here. We're finally settled in. And I think that emotion is something we all long for if we're honest as parents. We all want to see our kids belong somewhere. We want to see our kids have a place where they fit and where they can be themselves and where they thrive. Whether they're in preschool or middle school or even once your kids are in your 30s or your 40s, you want to see your kids thriving. And so the question that we're asking today is this, how can I do everything in my power to help my kids succeed? How can you do everything in your power to help your kids succeed? How can you help them become the best version of themselves? I don't know if you've ever done this. Sometimes when I look at my three little ones, they're eight and six and three years old right now. Sometimes I imagine, is that one going to be an attorney? Is that one going to be a firefighter? Is that one going to be a police officer? What are these kids going to be when they grow up? What few of us think of as parents, but what the statistics are just brutal about, what we don't want to visualize is someday the reality that a lot of people, they're going to be walking into divorce court. Someday a lot of kids who are growing up right now are going to be in an office where they just couldn't have healthy relationships and so they're packing up a cardboard box because they've lost another job. We don't like to visualize that kind of future for our kids. We like to think those kind of things will never happen to our kids, that we'll never get a call in the middle of the night when they're an adult because they're struggling with addiction. And so the question is, for those of us who still have kids at home, for those of you who have grandkids, what can we do to most set up our children and our grandchildren for a positive future, for a successful future. And the Word of God actually talks about this in the next portion of this story. We've been following Jesus in John chapters 3 and 4. And at the end of John chapter 4, we get this very short but powerful story of a dad whose son is sick and dying. And the dad seeks out Jesus' help. And Jesus gives him help. And in the story, we can learn some principles about how to best lead the people we love. Whether it's your kids, your grandkids, or if you're here and you're thinking, I'm single. I don't have any kids or grandkids. How does this relate to me? It relates to leading the people you love so they can become the best versions of themselves. Here's the story in John chapter 4, starting in verse 46. As Jesus traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana. Now you might remember Cana is the place where Jesus did his first public miracle. He had turned water into wine. And there was a government official. This guy would have been uh, pretty wealthy, very powerful at this time, especially for a government official. And he lived in nearby Capernaum. This is 20 miles away. And his son was very sick. Verse 47 says, when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went. So he walks these 20 miles. And then he begged Jesus. This is not a person who would normally beg. But he begs Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son because his son's about to die. Now in verse 49, the story continues. 
and this official is actually pleading. He moves from begging Jesus to pleading. And he says, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Verse 50, Jesus sees his faith and Jesus tells him this, go back home. In other words, I'm not going to do what you want in the sense of I'm not going to come to your house to heal your son. But you can just go on home because I'm healing him by remotely, okay? This is a live stream healing, okay? <laughs> your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and he started home. I mean, that's key. He believed what Jesus said and then he did what Jesus said even though it was counterintuitive and it's not what he expected would be the thing to do. Well, verse 51, while he's on his way home, some of his servants meet him halfway and they bring news that your son is alive and well. Your son's all better. And so he asks them, verse 52, when did my son start to get better? And they replied, well, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, all of a sudden his fever disappeared. And that's when this guy remembers, verse 53, remember it was a 20-mile journey, so he, meet, he meets these servants and he has this conversation and he realizes that was the very time that Jesus had told him, your son will live. And then this is interesting because we already know he had believed on Jesus at one level. He had believed in Jesus' power to heal his son physically. But now his belief is going to graduate to another level because it says he and his entire household, this would have included the son who was healed, believed in Jesus. And we know from what we've been learning in John 3 and 4, this is a belief that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is the savior of the world, that Jesus is not just some kind of prophet who can heal a few people, but he's God among us to heal the deepest wound of our souls, that is our sin wound, and to reconnect us to God. So what's the principle that we can learn from the word of God and from this dad as it relates to our spiritual leadership? Very simply, it's this, your spiritual leadership. Your spiritual leadership is the biggest factor that you can control. There's a lot of factors you can't control in your child's life or your grandchild's life. You can't control what a peer of theirs might show them on a tablet or an iPhone. You can't control what their spouse will be like someday. You can't control what their boss will be like someday. But the biggest factor you can control that will shape your child's success or failure is your spiritual leadership. And so we're just very simply going to consider from this text this principle and how it relates to our lives. I would encourage you to just think on this principle as it relates to the people who are dependent on you. So in my case, I think of Jack, who's eight. I think of Zoe. I think of Evie. And I can apply this principle specifically to each of them. My spiritual leadership, it's the, the most significant factor that I can control. I can't control their DNA, their personality. There's a lot of things I can't control. But I can control whether or not and how I'm going to lead them spiritually. And that's the biggest factor in their success or failure that is within my domain of control. Uh, by the way, life principle here, there's always in every situation things you can control and things you cannot control. If you obsess on the things you cannot control, making your kids adult choices for them, choosing their friends for them when they're older, etc. If you focus on things you cannot control, what their personality is, that's already set, okay, that's in their DNA. If you focus on the things you cannot control, you will go crazy. And that's true in every area of life. 
But if you focus on the things that you can control, you'll find clarity and you'll find purpose and you'll, you'll actually get better results because they're things that you can control. Okay, so your spiritual leadership, it's the biggest factor that you can control in your child's success or failure. So when I think of my kids, I, I think specifically, of okay, I could set my kids up where they get a great education, they have a great career, but if I haven't led them spiritually, they might be able to make a whole bunch of money but not have meaningful, stable relationships in their life. They might be able to make a bunch of money but become in, addicted or enslaved to some sin. And so the goal as a, as a parent is to keep the big picture view and not get so focused on one little area of success that you lose perspective. I'll tell you um, a story about that as we talk about, let's define success. How do we define success for our kids? Because if we're not careful, we might just adopt our neighbor's definition of success or like a lot of areas in life, we might kind of have this idea of what we think success for our kids is, and we might work really hard toward that. We've only got one shot while they're under our roof anyway. We only have that one time from zero to 18, and then they grow up and we realize, man, the definition of success I was aiming for, I hadn't really thought that through completely. So this is just the start of a definition, but I think all of us in here, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I think we would all agree with this. We want our children to become the best versions of themselves, and we want them to live life to the full. Jesus said uh, in the Gospels, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And we've learned that we can only be the best version of ourselves or live life to the full through the power of Jesus. I mentioned the definition of success because I've seen some parents who strive and strain <clears throat> to make their kids, quote, successful, but they lose perspective in the process. And I'll just tell you one illustration of this. It was one of the final stories that I wrote as an investigative reporter when I was in Arizona. Uh, in, in investigative journalism, we would do hard-hitting investigations where it's, you know, these doctors are doing things wrong, so people are dying, the law needs to change. But then we would do softer investigations. This was a soft investigation where you go into a subculture, you get absorbed into it, and you describe what happens in that subculture, and you do an expose, you expose what life is like for people in that subculture. So I spent about two months absorbed in the subculture of club soccer in Arizona. Now, in Arizona, I mean, club soccer is competitive everywhere, but in Arizona, it's brutally competitive because they literally play year-round. They have weather where they can just keep playing and playing. So even neighboring states like Colorado and New Mexico that have similar weather, they would limit the number of club tournaments in a year to six tournaments a year or 10 tournaments a year. Arizona had 42 club tournaments per year. So literally... Every weekend, other than holidays, for kids who play club soccer, they're at another tournament every weekend, year-round, for a lot of them from age 8 all the way till they graduate high school. And as club soccer got more and more competitive there, a lot of these club coaches, they won't allow their players to play high school soccer because it's beneath them. And what I found as I went deeper and deeper into the subcultures, I met all these parents who were paying ten dollars to $15,000 a year for their kid to play this club sport. And I would ask them, why are you doing it? 
and they would say, it's, so, it's because if we invest in this, our kid will get a scholarship to college someday. And so I started interviewing the best Division I athletes who had scholarships, and I started actually just doing the math. And here's what I started to find out. I, I found a girl from Arizona who got a, a scholarship to the University of Oregon, and over her whole four years, that scholarship saved her $22,000 of tuition. I asked her dad, how much did you spend on club soccer? And he said, well, just for her junior and senior year, I spent $32,000. <laughs> so it's just one of these, you know, kind of funny. Now, now, club soccer is a great thing. Sports are a great thing. But it was one of those things. And again, I'm talking Arizona. I have no idea what it's like in Indiana, okay? Um, these parents meant well, but they became, some of them, so focused on one little area of success that they completely lost perspective about their kids' broader character, broader exposure to other things in life. And so how do we avoid that? Well, we avoid it by having a biblical definition of success, which includes this, but I want to include a few other things that, again, I think we'd all agree on. And actually, the club soccer parents I interviewed in Arizona who were completely consumed, these coaches, by the way, would not allow the parents to sleep at the same hotels as the kids because the kids would get distracted. I mean, it was, it, it was pretty intense, okay? But the, the point is, even they would have agreed with this further definition I'm about to show you, but they probably never sat down and really thought, how am I raising my kids? How am I leading my kids? Here's what we would all agree. In addition to what we said, we want them to be their best version. We want them to live life to the full. If we think about it, we also want them to be free from addictions, don't we? It, what good is it if your, college, if your student gets a Division I college scholarship, graduates with honors, and then becomes an alcoholic? Right? What, what good would that be? What good is it if they get a great job and make a bunch of money, but every person they marry divorces them, and their kids want nothing to do with them, and every relationship they have is broken? We... If we think about it, we want them to have stable and fulfilling relationships, don't we? That's part of God's definition of success. That should be part of our definition of success for our kids. We want to see them thriving in their life work, right? We want to see them not just having a job that pays the bills, not just making a living, but we want to see them make a life. We want to see them find their unique thing that they were made to do. As believers in Christ, Ephesians 2 verse 10 talks about this, that before the foundation of the earth, God created you in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. So for my little eight-year-old and my little three-year-old and your 14-year-old or your grandkids or your fiance or whoever it is you love and want to lead spiritually, God has specific good works for them to do in life. And it's in doing those that they will find maximum purpose and fulfillment. And that's what we want. We want to see them thriving. We want to see them using their unique gifts and skills. Not just to make as much money as possible, but much more importantly, to contribute to the people around us who need help and to contribute to the kingdom of God. So this is a definition that, again, even if you're here and you're not a Christian, you'd probably say, yeah, those are all things I want for my kid. So let's talk now about how do we aim for this kind of target? And a big part of it is keeping perspective. As Jesus said in Matthew 16, what good will it be for someone if they gain the whole world but lose their own soul? So as parents, we keep our perspective that yes, 
sports matter. And whatever our kids are good at, whether it's sports or music or academics or whatever else, car racing, mechanics, we want to take the time to help them become the best at that. But in doing that, if we lose perspective about their soul and their holistic success, then we're not actually going to lead them to true success. I think Steph Curry is a great example of this. Steph Curry is an NBA all-star, but he's successful in a much more significant way. His dad, Del Curry, is a strong Christian and raised Steph Curry to love Jesus. And Steph Curry, when he was driven to get better and better at basketball, he stayed active in his church's youth group. And that's where he met his wife. And so in an industry where so many people have so much money and fame and they get divorce after divorce, Steph is happily married to this high school sweetheart that he met at his church youth group. And they're raising their kids together for Christ. And they're having success in a holistic sense, not just in one or two domains of life. So please hear me. I'm not saying if you have a kid who's athletic that you can't play club sports, okay? That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is don't lose perspective about the big picture. We want to have holistic success for our kids. Your spiritual leadership is the biggest factor you can control in your child's success or failure. Now that we've defined success, let's talk about this middle part, the biggest factor that you can control. Because again, there's a lot of things that we cannot control. In fact, I put it this way when I think about my kids. I cannot control their future decisions. But I can control if I lead them spiritually today. I cannot control their future decisions. But I can control if I lead them spiritually today. And the... I think we have a slide for that. There we go. Okay. All right, I cannot control their future decisions, but I can control if I lead them spiritually today. You know, I've, I've met parents who uh, have come to me in tears saying, we did, we raised our kids for the Lord. You know, Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, train up a child in the way they should go. And in the end, or when they are old, they will not depart from it. And uh, right now in the United States, here's a national statistic, and this is not just a sketchy statistic, there's four different researchers who found this, of kids who grow up in Christian homes in the U.S. right now, two out of three are presently abandoning the faith between the ages of 18 and 29. So between the time they leave for college and their 30th birthday, right now the national trend is two out of three drift away from their Christian beliefs during that time. Part of our vision here as a church is to continue being a movement where our kids are an exception to that rule. Where our kids are the one in three nationally who retain the faith. And so we're doing everything we can, Proverbs 22, 6, to train up these children in the way they can go. And in the end, they will not depart from it. But here's the thing. We can't control the human free will that God has given to every person on earth. And that includes our kids and our grandkids. You can't control the choices your kids and grandkids will make. If you think about it, if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the first two human kids were named Adam and Eve, and they had a perfect dad. Their dad was God. I mean, he was completely perfect, and yet they still turned away. They still chose sin. They chose death. They chose evil. They turned their back on him. They rejected him. Is that because he did something wrong as a parent? Not at all. He was a perfect parent. That's human free will. 
And so Proverbs 22 verse 6 gives us this principle. Train up a child in the way they should go and in the end they will not depart from it. The principle doesn't usurp human free will. Everyone has their own free will. But where I encourage parents who have adult kids and maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, my kids are in their 30s or 40s and some of them are still with the Lord but some of them aren't. And that verse kind of hurts my heart because I did everything I could to raise them for the Lord. I would encourage you, if that's you, don't let that verse be a dagger in your heart. Grab that verse as a promise that you can hang on to because the verse says, in the end, they will not depart from it. When they're old, (laughs) and we all take detours, we all have prodigal moments, we all have low points in our stories. And if your child, even your adult child, is in a detour or a low point, don't give up because you can still be a spiritual leader to them today. In fact, that's where I encourage you, especially if you're here and you've got a kid or a grandkid who has wandered, what we're learning today, your spiritual leadership is still the biggest factor that you can control in their success, even if they're 65 years old. How, if your kid is 65, how do you lead them spiritually? I'll give you a couple ways. One, you continue to love them unconditionally. Because that's how God our Father loves us, right? And when our kids wander away, if we're not careful because we want to control them to do the right thing, we start to put conditions on our approval and our affection. But God loves us unconditionally even when we make mistakes, even when we do stupid things. So you continue to lead them spiritually by continuing to show them an unconditional love. Doesn't mean you approve of decisions that hurt them, but you love them unconditionally and undeniably. It's not, well, I will never talk to you again because of that, but I do love you. It's, I will show you with my actions I love you. You continue to lead them spiritually that way. Secondly, you continue to pray for them and pray with a faith that says, God, your word says, train up a child, and in the end they will not depart from you. And so I am going to claim that as a promise until the day I die. You know, when I think of praying for people where you've been praying for years or decades and you haven't seen change, I think of uh, a famous Christian, his name was George Mueller. George Mueller started a number of orphanages. George Mueller had some friends, he was praying for their salvation for decades. It was 20 or 30 years. And as George Mueller's death was approaching, those friends had still not come to salvation. And someone questioned him, you know, do you think your prayers were in vain? And he said, no, God's not limited by my life. The fact that I'm going to die and go to heaven doesn't mean that God's not going to answer my prayers. And actually, as the story continued, a couple of those friends did come to place their faith in Christ right before George Mueller passed away. But that wasn't all of them. A few more of them came to trust in Christ in the months after George Mueller passed away. Faith is saying, I know that my God is faithful, and I will continue to pray by faith for the very best for my children and my grandchildren. I hope I get to see it in this life. But whether I get to see it in this life or the next, I believe that my God is faithful. And what can we do today? We cannot control our future decisions, but today, especially those of us who still have them living in our houses, we can control how we lead them spiritually today. I was laying down the other night with my son Jack. He's eight. And I was reflecting back on the last 10 years of my life because it had just recently been my 10-year wedding anniversary. And I was thinking about how fast those 10 years went from the wedding until this last year. And I was laying there next to Jack, who's eight, and I realized that amount of time, 10 years, 
is what I have left with him as an eight-year-old. And all the older parents I know tell me it just keeps getting faster and faster. So it's probably a little less than that in perception. And so it's like, that's how much time I've got with him. So you guys can make fun of me for being a nerd, but here's the math that I was doing in my head. <laughs> While I was laying there next to Jack. I was like, okay, so if I have 10 years left, that's 520 weeks. Now, here's the thing, whether it's club sports, whether it's music, whether it's car racing, whatever else that each of our kids will be interested in and good at, we want to help them be the best at that. But what Del Curry modeled with Steph Curry, who's an NBA all-star, is that that doesn't mean a holistic definition of success means I still bring them to church. No matter what, I'm going to make them being in the house of God and hearing the truth of God, that's going to be the priority of my week. Because I've only got 520 left with him. That might sound like a lot, but they're going to go fast. Because see here, by the time he's 16, there's only 104 left. 104 weekends left for a 16-year-old. So my 16-year-old, I want them in God's house every one of those weekends. Unless they're throwing up or we're out of state, they're going to be in God's house because before I know it, they'll be 17 and there'll be 52 weeks left. And then before I know it, they'll be 18 and they'll be heading off. And I will no longer be able to feed into them as directly. I'll continue praying for them and loving them. But while I've got them in my house, I'm going to be intentional about my spiritual leadership. And that's the third part we're focusing in on. Your spiritual leadership is the biggest factor you can control. And what I want to remind you of today is the reality that you are a spiritual leader. Whether you realize it or not, you are leading spiritually the people who look up to you. So if you're a dad, a grandpa, a mom, a grandma, if you're a fiance, if you're a student, if you're a sibling and you've got younger, younger brothers and sisters, wherever you are in life, you are a spiritual leader. You just might not realize it. Your spiritual leadership might be saying that football is more important than God. Or your spiritual leadership, I, I, I don't know what your spiritual leadership is saying, but you are a spiritual leadership, a spiritual leader. And that is the biggest factor that you can control in whether or not your child is fully successful. Let's look at the action that the father took in this story. Because one of the key things about leadership that we see in scripture is that there's a big difference between intention and motive, which is very important. And action. If you just have good intention and motive, but you never act on it, you're not a leader. Being a leader is about action, and you've got to have the right intention and motive, but then you've actually got to do something about it. And look at what this father does in the story. First, we know he walked 20 miles to Jesus, right? This father could have sat in his house and thought, I've heard of that Jesus guy. I bet he could, maybe he could heal my son. But then he could have gotten just busy or distracted. And just thinking about it wouldn't have changed his son's life. The reason his son's life and eternity changed is because he acted. He did something. He walks the 20 miles to Jesus. And then he gets there and there's a crowd around Jesus. I imagine there's some nervousness, but he begs Jesus for help. There's perseverance in this. He begs him again. And then when Jesus says... Um, you wanted me to come to your house, but instead I'm going to heal him from here. Jesus gives him counterintuitive device, advice. He does what Jesus says. And so the question is, what do you need to do 
And will you persevere in spiritual leadership? I'll give you three ways that you can lead spiritually. I think my voice is about to kick the can. (coughs) You guys got me excited. (coughs) First is to actually bring them every week. Do any of you else have the same theme song in your neighborhood right now? My neighborhood has a musical theme song of lawnmower engines. You guys can relate to that? So here's the thing. I'm not a master lawn carer. Um, I have lawn envy. I envy other people's lawns. But here's some basics that I do know. The people who've got the really green, vibrant lawns, there's just a few basic things they do. It's not rocket science. You know, they, they water it. If there's a bald area, they put down new seeds. They put down the right fertilizer. They put down the right weed killer to get rid of the dandelions and stuff, and they mow it the right way. That's probably pretty much it. There might be one or two other things. But the key is not just knowing those things or doing them once or twice. The key for those people whose lawns we really covet is this. They do it every week. They do it consistently, right? The key is consistency. And it's the same with these little seeds that are growing up in our homes. We can't control their future choices, but every week we can be watering them, fertilizing them with the word of God, the truth of God. Second thing you can do as a spiritual leader is to grow your own faith in Jesus. The more you grow, the more it's going to grow the people that you have influence on. And a, a little tip here, especially if your kids are still at home, but even if they're adults, let your kids see your vulnerabilities. Let them see where you need God to come through for you. If you are afraid you're going to lose your job, or you don't know if the bills, if you have enough to pay for the month, or there's some problem you're going through, let your kids see that problem and let them see your faith and pray together as a family and say, God, we need you to provide for dad's job, or we need you to provide for mom's situation at work, or we need you to provide for our bills. Let your kids grow up seeing that God is the provider, not Eli Lilly or Dow Chemical or the school district or something else, but God is the provider. Let them grow up seeing that, and that happens when we're vulnerable as parents. And then the third is really like the first, and that's to be consistent. So I want to encourage you guys, the goal of this message is not to shame you or guilt you, but to motivate you. Why I moved my family here from across the country, two primary reasons. One, this church is a church built on loving people, and I wanted to be part of that. Secondly, raising my kids for Christ is the most important thing in my life right now, and I wanted to come to a church that has a track record that it's already doing that. And that's why I came here. I genuinely believe this is the best student and children's ministry that you can find within 100 miles of here. I I don't think you can find anything better, but the question is if we take advantage of it or not. So my goal today is to encourage you. One, you are a spiritual leader because you're here and you're doing a good job. Keep it up. Let's be consistent. Let's make the most of the resources we have. I'm going to invite some of our spiritual leadership team for our kids to join me on stage. But right before they come out, We're going to show you a video of a girl who started as a four-year-old. We've got four-year-olds in Kid City right now, and she was a four-year-old here, but now she's a sophomore at Purdue, and she loves the Lord. She's living faithfully for him, and she is, to me, an example of what I want my kids to be like when they get to that age. Let's check it out together. 
raising my kids in a Christian home was really huge to me, thinking about the struggles that I had. And um, I really looked at um, how, can, how can life be different, right? As Christians, how can we raise our kids differently? And, and um, when Kinsey was born, and we, we had accepted Christ, and we really looked at, you know, we want to raise our kids differently. I'm involved with the high school ministry, working um, with a, a group of junior boys. And one of my, one of my goals was to know the, the guys that my daughters might be dating, right? It's kind of a selfish reason in the beginning, but uh, um, the relationships that I've built um, through the guys serving at church, um, the guys that, you know, that Kinsey went to church with, and Sydney and Sammy, my other daughters, has been incredible for me. The impact the church has had on watching the kids grow up has been incredible for me. God uses the kids in such incredible ways, and they're so gifted. And um, so it's, it's, it's awesome as a family to be able to do that together. My parents have helped me better understand the fact that like when I come to them with struggles, when I come to them with things that I'm like embarrassed to share because like I messed up or whatever it may be, like they're not hiding from me. Like of course they would want me to go to them. There's no other place they would want me to go to. Like they don't want me to come to them just when things are great. Um, but especially when things are bad and the father himself is that way. And so for me to like keep things out of shame and guilt um, has been easy, but I've been able to recognize through my earthly parents that that is not his desire, that he wants to be a part of both the joys and sorrows of life. As I look at the girls and, and whether at their walk, um, Kinsey's, Kinsey's walks just blossom so much um, through we have the middle school here and with the high school and watching small groups within the high school. And um, um, it's been really exciting to watch her grow and in her faith. Serving with her and watching her blossom and wanting to give back, I think that, that grace component has been a wonderful component within, within the home. Growing up in my house and a house that is like very much so led by a family who desires to seek after the Lord's heart. Like that is a solid foundation in a broken world. And that was the only foundation that I saw that was one that wouldn't break was Christ's love. Going to college and moving to a new church and knew no one and was so used to coming to Connection Point and like not being able to get through the door or like being like to service because you're like, hello, we love you guys, like hi. And it's like so overwhelming and great. And then walking into a new community where I didn't know anyone, but like had the confidence, understanding and foundation to like, okay, this is what a community looks like. Like this is new, but like that does, that totally means that there's opportunity for that here. Being surrounded by um, a family who just like knows so many people in the community was really helpful and encouraging for me to gauge like going into freshman year like I'm just gonna go around and meet some people and um, hear their stories and it just gave me it was so familiar doing that um, that it just kind of made community at my home church now so much easier to adapt to. Kinsey's had such great community here and going to that it's like we can replicate that wherever we go now right? Um, and when I think of grace, I mean the same thing. I think of small groups. I thought once I've experienced what I've what I've experienced within my small group, or talked about grace with someone, I mean it's something that you can replicate just with anyone, anyone you come across across with. And um, so it's, it's God gives you that tool and He gives you that message, and, and it's like go, you know, go and make disciples, right? So um, that's our calling. I love McKinsey's story because one, it showcases what this church has done for one of our families from age four for her up until now also showcases the intentional spiritual leadership of a parent and one of the things that drew me here uh, by the way dave wendy and caitlin lead our student and children's ministries you guys thanks for hanging out with us for a little bit and um yeah yeah absolutely 
One of the things that um, drew me here is not only the amazing physical environments that we have, thanks to many of you who've invested in this incredible facility, but our model is not just one where the kids come and get entertained and have a good time. That happens too. But it's a small group model that took me a while to understand where the kids get in a small group. And it's not just like when they finish fifth grade, then in sixth grade, they have a new small group. The idea is they journey with the same small group through every season of life. So Mackenzie has girls from her small group that she's still friends with. There's Mackenzie's dad started leading a guy's small group for fifth grade boys. How old are those guys now? They're juniors now, so he's been with them for a long time. <laughs> okay, so that, that gives you guys the picture for your kids. If you come to the same service time consistently, they get a group of peers around them who will journey with them through middle school, through all the seasons of life. And um, like Craig, who we saw in the video, Mackenzie's dad, they get a spiritual leader who's gonna walk with them through all those seasons of life. So, um, Caitlin, I know you helped kind of put a lot of this together, and I wanted to just ask you to explain to us why does that matter? Yeah. Why do the small, why do we do that? Yeah, so we think as a church that small groups are important, right? We ask all of you guys to be in small groups, and that's no different for our kids and for our students. Uh, from the time that kids are itty-bitty babies, we put them into small groups because we want them to have that community of their peers, but also a small group leader who's pouring into their lives. And so we, uh, we see that as so important. It's part of our service. Every single week, they meet in rooms just like this one. This is in the student center. Uh, so they meet in rooms with their peers, with their small group leaders every single week so that they have that community coming alongside them to encourage them and help them grow in their faith. And we see this is valuable because we hear story after story of how small groups have impacted our kids and our students' lives. We have one student in our ministry who just last year lost her dad. And in that really difficult time, her small group was there for her. Her small group and her small group leader were at the funeral. They were there with her in a time that is unimaginable for any student to have to go through that, but she had those peers and that leader pouring into her life, uh, loving her, and we want that for all of our kids and our students, for them to have that community, but also to have that leader, that second voice pouring into their life, saying the same thing that parents are, you know, giving them that same godly wisdom and godly truth, um, but just another person speaking into their life. And we know, especially in students, they don't always like to listen to their parents. And so having that other voice to speak into them, to partner with our parents is huge. And so we see small groups are really valuable because of that. That's awesome. Yeah, Caitlin, that's a really good point. I don't know if any other parents can relate to this, where you tell your kids something that's good for them and it can't be true because it's coming from you. But then as soon as they hear it from someone else, they're like, oh yeah, there's this brand new thing. Yeah. And so the idea of having those, those leaders um, who are, are tell, pointing them back to Jesus, to the word of God, their true identity and security and purpose. Well, Dave, uh, correct me if I get my math wrong, but you've been part of children's ministry here, is it 27 years? That's right, yep. 27 years. Can we just we celebrate that for a minute? So if you've been part of this church for a while, you know who Steve Reeves is. He, he was in uh, my predecessor. He was here for 30, 
31 or 32 years, and his son Nate is about my age. So yeah. I would guess if you've been here for 27 years, you can probably remember when Nate was. He was in kindergarten, I think, okay. when I came. So yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So Nate's another one of those living proof of what this yeah. church, its track record yeah. of raising up a generation. And Dave, that's largely uh, thanks to you. And uh, I know you have rallied for and lobbied for this church to have not just acceptable facilities for our kids, but the best in the area, probably the best, you know, the best that's possible. And I would guess in 27 years, those have changed a lot. (laughs) But uh, let's talk a little bit about what the facilities are that we have now and really why they matter. Yep. Safe and engaging environments are really important here at Connection Point. So we've been blessed, haven't we? And so, yes. But maybe you didn't know that each of those environments were specifically designed in a certain way uh, for a specific age, for a specific phase. phase. So we have two beautiful environments for preschoolers, our sweet shop and our park. And uh, our our preschoolers, uh, if you didn't know, um, think like artists. If you have a preschooler, you know that. They blend reality and imagination together. And they learn through participation. So we embrace their physical needs. The factory, the studio, and the pier are elementary environments, and uh, an elementary kid thinks like a scientist, so we have to engage them in a different way, engage their interests. They discover how things work through repetition, and uh, we want to be clear in our application as they grow older. Our student center, if you've never been there, is an amazing environment uh, made specifically for middle schoolers and high schoolers, and a middle schooler, as they learn, they think like an engineer. Uh, So we need to affirm them as they uh, walk along their spiritual journey, as they personalize abstract concepts and they connect all these ideas together. A high schooler thinks uh, like a philosopher, so we need to mobilize their potential and uh, discover that there is meaning and they they learn best um, by processing things out loud. So if you want to know a little bit more about any of those phases, we'd be happy to share those with you out in the lobby at our Um, family resource uh, display. Um, Feel free to stop by there as you leave today and we'll give you some more resources that might interest you as far as those phases. But we don't want, uh, we don't have these environments for kids just to keep them out of adult service. Uh, We have those environments because we know that at each phase they learn best in their own way. Um, So if your student hasn't had a chance to visit Kid City or the Student Center, we invite you to uh, take advantage of that and to to check that out. Um, we'll also be available out in the lobby as you leave. If you've never been to any of those environments and you'd like to take a tour today, we'd love to give you a tour um, to learn more about those. So, Awesome. Yeah, I'd encourage you, if you've never seen them, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or just an investor in this ministry, every time I go into one of those areas, I'm continually just amazed at the facility we have. So if you've never seen it for yourself, do go to that big resource wall that you'll see in the lobby and just say that you'd love to take a tour and we'd be thrilled to show you those areas today so that you can see what we have here. Well, Wendy, your role is helping us uh, partner with parents. Um, I think you gave a statistic to me once of the church in a year has 40 or 50 hours, but what do the parents have? About 3,000. Okay. So, a little skewed. <laughs> yeah. So, so parents being spiritual leaders is a, a key part of our strategy. Would you just explain a little more of, of absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that kids are so important. We know that parents are even more important. Nobody has more influence in the life of a child. And so everything we do, our small groups, our environments, 
but we want it to be more than that. And so we wish there was a one-size-fits-all, and I'm sure, like as parents, we wish there was a one-size-fits-all, and we could wiki how exactly how to do everything. But we know that there's a few things that are overarching. Everybody, every kid, every student, every adult, needs love and tribes and fun and stories over time. So we have some of those resources, and we also create events to talk about that. So FX is coming up in a few weeks. We kick off our summer, we kick off fall with FX, and it's just a fun time for you to come together as a family, create memories, and enjoy each other as a family. But don't feel like if, oh, I have a student, so we're too old for that. Absolutely not. There's plenty of opportunities to serve, and you can man an inflatable. There's different things that you can do. And studies are overwhelming what impact that has on the life of a student to serve alongside of their parents. So that's for everybody to come and do and create memories, and it's free. So can't beat that. Um, we also have next weekend, we're, for each phase, we like to mark each phase. So next weekend is family dedication for those entering into that first preschool phase. The week after that, for those entering the high school phase, parents, we're going to get together. I'm right there with you in this. We are going to celebrate that we have survived the middle school phase because that is a huge accomplishment. Um, but we're also going to face... The high school phase together. So parents, we're going to be meeting upstairs together. We're going to talk about some tips and some encouragement as we face that phase. And then later this summer, we'll meet with our kindergartners and their parents and our middle schoolers and their parents to kind of take a peek into that world and how things are the same and how we tweak it a little bit to be phase specific. That's hard to say phase specific. Um, but today we also have some things for you. Out in the lobby display, we have this don't miss it book. So everybody, if you have a kid or a student here, we want to give you one of these books. They're also available on Amazon and the Parent Q app store, but if you have a kid or a student here, we want to give you one of these because we just think it's that valuable and that you're that valuable. Every other page is a picture, so you can totally read this book within an hour, but it's chock full of great information. We also have some faith conversation guides that are specific for each phase and just ways that you can talk about faith and you can be that spiritual leader that you're talking about. But how do I do that with a preschooler? How do I do that with a middle schooler? And there's some great tips, some great reminders of how you can communicate best to that phase as you talk about faith. There's also a Parent Q app. And if you don't have this yet, you need to download it today. It's even okay. Is it okay if they get their phone out right now? Okay. So it's okay. If you're, no judgment. If you get your phone out right now and download the Parent Q app, it is free and it is amazing, all kinds of different resources, but it's also going to give you a glimpse into what we're talking about on the weekends with a question or an activity that you can apply that at home and you can carry that conversation on, out, which is huge. This afternoon, we're going to be sending out a survey. So just like kids aren't one make and model, parents aren't either, and we want to know how we can better partner with you. So just a few questions asking how we can best communicate with you, that would be super helpful. And I know that whenever we talk about these things, I, I, I at least feel this like, ugh, one more thing on my to-do plate or one more reason for me to feel like I failed as a parent. And we don't want you to hear it that way at all. We believe in you and we think you can totally do this. And God himself pulls out in Deuteronomy 6 as he charges Moses to tell the Israelites, talk about me when you get up, talk about me when you go to bed, talk about me when you sit down to eat, when you go along the road or when you drive along the road. Just bring me into the rhythm of your life that you already have. So you're already doing these things. You're already with your kids. It's just being intentional about that time that you have because you have more influence than all of us put together. And we believe in you, and more importantly, God does.
Amen. Amen. Well, I think as a church, we'd love to pray for you guys, and I'd love to just pray a, a prayer of blessing over each of you as a church family. Our spiritual leadership is the biggest factor we can control in the success or failure of the people we love. So um, I'd just love to pray that for you guys and, and for our whole congregation, if we could. Father, we thank you that you have invited us into your family. We thank you that you are a perfect spiritual leader. And Lord, even under your perfect leadership, we often rebel and we fail and we mess up. But Lord, your love is unconditional and your grace is unlimited. And we just thank you, Lord, today that you have adopted us into your family. We thank you today that you've made us part of a tribe. That for 181 years, this specific church has been raising up generation after generation who know their identity in you. And Lord, we would pray for your blessing on Dave and Wendy and Caitlin and the teams that they are part of and lead, that you would use us as a church to raise up this next generation to truly be warriors of grace and truth. But Lord, the real workers in this are in this room. The real workers in this are each of us who are parents and grandparents. Will you use us to be intentional spiritual leaders, to do what we can in every way we can, this, this one factor we can control in the success or failure of our kids and grandkids. So Lord, we pray for every child who's represented in this room, Lord, those who are still in the womb, those who are yet to come, those who are in high school, middle school, everywhere in between, Lord, we just pray that you will set these children apart for you, that you will protect them from the enemy, that you will help them to find their identity in you, their forgiveness in you, eternal life in you. Lord, let them find purpose and security in you. May they truly be a generation who are warriors of grace and truth, who live knowing that this world is not their home, and who live finding every need that they have is met in Christ. Raise us up as a church to do this in increasingly supernatural and powerful ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.